What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse Now. That is Tom Eschen. I'm Travis Eldridge. This is Tom's final Lacrosse Now. He's off to bigger and better. So, Tom, one more to put in the books here. One more, and I'm excited to get going here. Well, I'll say goodbye at the end. Yeah. We'll, we'll save that for later. We got to get to brass tacks here, and that's lacrosse. We got to recap the U21 Men's World Championships in Ireland today. We talked with a whole bunch of people from that. Michael Kennedy from Ireland Lacrosse, Liam Entman, Team USA goalie, yep. just won the gold medal as well, and Sean Mowry, who was the coach of that Puerto Rican team, the U21 Puerto Rico, who were so fun to watch for the tournament. First tournament for them, they finished in eighth. Yeah, we're going to talk all about just some of the great moments of this World Championship event because it was so much more than the results on the field with Team USA beating Canada in the gold medal game, which was important. So we're going to get to all that. But we do want to start with the PLL quickly because we now know the playoff yeah. bracket in the Premier Lacrosse League. The quarterfinals, not this weekend, but next weekend, the first weekend of September at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Yeah, Kenny Chesney's in town this weekend. Yeah, so they had to push that. <laughs> Kenny takes Kenny, precedent. He's got like over, three days. So yeah, I he's mean, got yeah. a couple of big concerts <laughs> yeah. uh, with a big tour yeah. to, to, at Gillette. So uh, Gillette Stadium will uh, have to wait a week for the Premier Lacrosse League. Whipsnakes get the bye as the top seed. The Cannons are out as the last place team. You got uh, Chrome Chaos, Archers, Redwoods, Atlas, Waterdogs, your three matchups in the quarterfinals. And let's talk about the Cannons because okay. them being out means Lyle Thompson's not in the postseason, which I think is a shame because he had a great year, but it just never clicked for the Cannons this year. No, and it's, I mean, unfortunately, it's the nature of how they brought in, you know, the MLL in all of this at the end of the day and how they formulated that expansion draft, if you will, with the one team. There was nearly no choice for but for Lyle to be part of this team at the end of the day. This He was going to be on the for sure because yeah. he came from, he was one of the, la the, the best player in the world not playing in the PLL. So he was going to be on this team. So it's a little unfortunate in the way that mechanism, you know, sort of impacted the cannons and the way, you know, some of those trades happened over time that kind of hurt them in the long run, you know, in terms of acquiring Paul Rabel at the end of his career for that last year, a sentimental, you know, acquisition at that, yeah. but kind of hurts, you know, Lyle in this, this stance. So to me, it, it's unfortunate. You look at guys like Mike Trout, you know, <laughs> the Angels, and um, there's other cases like that as well. Show Joey Angels too. Joey Otani, and um, it it stinks because you want to see Lyle competing for a championship as he deserves to be. So, and I think that unfortunately, you know, he's been struck with that in the NOL. The Swarm haven't they had they did in the past. They had that great they, they year. had that great year, 2017, when he was the MVP. When he was the MVP, and they went on to win it all. But it's been a while for Lyle. And I don't think he has tailed off at all. That's the thing about this. I don't think Lyle's gotten worse. I think he's simply sustained how great he is. It's just unfortunate that the pieces around him have not been able to be as talented, you know, to live up to his amazing play. So I think it's just it stinks that we don't get to see him. Yeah, because with Lyle, you've got to, like, you know that Lyle's your piece. And then you got to build around Lyle being your piece. And the Cannons haven't been able to do that yet. And it's well, like yeah, like I said, it's been hard. They haven't had the time, right? Yeah, as, as it's, it's got to be quick. You know, but you got to make because who knows how much longer you're going to have Lyle at peak Lyle. You got to make these moves fast. You know, when you look at the Chrome, they're a two seed. It took them two years. To, to figure it out, I guess, in one way, shape, or form. So the Cannons, unfortunately, did not draft as well as the, the Chrome had the last couple of seasons. And that, that has hurt them. And, uh, you know, you wonder, I mean, should all eight teams just make the playoffs at this point? Is one team being out really impacting everything moving forward? I, I don't know I, if it's the playoffs or if it's just the fact that 
you know, maybe it's time for them to trade Vile or what, would just rebuild. I, I do I do like the playoff structure this way because it does because otherwise like if everybody makes the playoffs then the regular season actually barely means anything yeah, as we true. saw the chaos yeah. so at least like there's incentive to finish as the top team in the league and there's incentive not to finish as the last place team so at least it builds a little bit of something I will say this past week out in the Tacoma Dome in Washington whip snakes cannons the game went exactly how both teams' seasons have gone this year. Like, <laughs> yeah. The cannons jump out. Everyone's going, is this it? The cannons are going to make things interesting. All of a sudden, all the pressure is going to be put on the chaos because they were that, that final game yeah. here this weekend. And if the cannons would have won, it would have put all the pressure on the chaos to win. And then the Whipsnakes did what they've done all year. They figured out a way. Yeah. They just, they, second they, half, they, they figured out a way. Yeah, they, they just are. find yeah. a way to win, and all of a sudden, you know, it goes exactly the way everybody thought it was going to go. And it, it just summed up both teams' seasons so perfectly because the Cannons have been in positions to win games. They've had some ugly losses, too, but they've been in positions to win some games, and they have not because found Because of Lyle. Them. Right. <laughs> because right. of Lyle. Because they've got a great player, transcendent-type yeah. talent, but they have not been able to win those games. And the Whip Snakes have been in positions to lose some of these games, and they find ways to win. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and, and Bailey Kennedy in my ear, one of our uh, guys on uh, the graphics guy today, he just reminded me, Cannons don't have a first-round pick lap next year. So then the Paul Rabel? it's tough to, to build around that. I believe so. Yeah. I think it was. So out, the Bubba no, Fairman trade, he says. Fairman okay, trade. I know there was a couple they made, which is very complicated. <sighs> yeah, you're right, the Bubba, the Bubba Fairman trade. Well, so, so anyway. Yeah, it doesn't even pay off being the last place team. It does not. The other thing that stuck out to me, Atlas as the four seed. You know, Archers get in with one of their best performances of the year. I mean, is it time to hop back on that bandwagon? They scored I'm, 16 goals. I'm I've been, still on the Archers you, bandwagon, you never got guys. Off, really? I, okay. I have, well, I've had my doubts. So I've had my doubts, but I'm still in. I'm until like they, one foot until on, they, one foot off. Until here. they break my heart in yeah, playoffs. They've I'm done that still a few in. times. I mean, the Redwoods, to me, have a perfect formula for being able to stop them. Just the way they have come. Redwoods have played much better second half of the season compared to the first yes. half. I do want to talk about the Atlas here because Atlas get that four seed and – to me, you know, they peaked probably too early, right? They yeah. certainly, they start the season, I have it down here, they won four of their first five. They've lost two of their last three to finish. And then they play the Water Dogs in the first round, Whip Snakes in the second round. I mean, that is not a, a good formula for a team that I think a lot of people are very high. I was very high on them at the beginning of the year. I said, you know, they've got the Tate and Gray combination, and then they've got a good midfield on top of that. Can Cannon can make the saves too. It, it's like... Yeah, they had everything, and then all of a sudden, either there there's, could be a couple factors here. Tate and Gray. Uh, Teat and Gray, excuse me. Teat and Gray. They've had long years, you know, for them. Gray yeah. started off, you know, grinding it out in college. Uh, Jeff Teat started it off in the NLL, having a rookie campaign there. So there is parts of that. Their production hasn't really tailed off all that much, but I wonder how much is left in the tank for a playoff run for them to make at this point, too. Well, and, like, this matchup with the Water Dogs is brutal. Yeah. This Water Dogs team is really good, as we saw down the stretch here this season yep. that, you know, they went on that that five-game winning streak uh, that ended a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that I really like that team. I like I Of all the games, I hate how – if you would make me pick that game, I would hate having no. to pick it. Yeah. Because it really could go either way, and I like both of those teams, and it feels like a game that should be a semifinal that ends up being a quarterfinal. Right, and then the winner 
gets the joy <laughs> of playing the Whip Snakes in the playoffs. Who just defines way to, ways to win. And then you got the Chrome as the two seed. And the Chrome, I didn't, I forgot about this. Their three losses all are by are one goal losses to the three best teams in the league. So yeah. they, they were able to lose the Atlas, Water Dogs, Whip Snakes. And I, the Archers aren't in there. But I feel like all those teams, when they lost to them, were playing really yes. good at the time, really yeah. well at the time. So you have the Chrome who those go different way. All three of those, the Chrome have the one seed. And to me, that shows you how strong and consistent they've been all season long, right? And they didn't have that blowout loss that we see some of these other teams that have had this year. They have been really consistent and dangerous at that. And they play the Chaos, who obviously have always peaked at the right time, but this is just not it for the Chaos this year. I'm sorry. It doesn't feel like the year, no. though. I. It- Crazier things have happened, but it does not feel like the year for the chaos. I really think when you look at this playoff bracket, it opens up really well for the Archers. Like if you're the like seriously, if you're the Archers, you are a big Archers guy. I mean, you have to feel pretty good. You 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 avoid the whip snakes until in until you would get to the championship game, and you've got a, a Redwoods team that while like they've been better here down the stretch, I don't I don't like feel great about the Redwoods still. So, like, if you're, if you're the Archers, you come off one of your best wins of the season, a 16-12, whatever the Water Dogs. And then if you win that, you got either the Chrome or Chaos. And while the fact the Chrome or the two-seed is great, there's still I still have a lot of question marks about that team, considering how young they are, especially offensively. They've been a lot more consistent than the Archers I know, all year but long. They're just young. <laughs> it doesn't make – but it, you're right. It doesn't make sense because they're young yet consistent, Archers, veterans, yet inconsistent. I'm just going with what I saw in the regular season, and I saw a much more consistent Chrome team. You're, no, you're right. All year long. You're 100% right. You know? And I love uh, Sean Scanoni. Yeah. Chrome goalie. Scones. Scones. Hey, yeah. Shout out to UMass. So it, it next, so we got two weekends from now in which we'll see where yeah. everybody will fit, and then I think we'll have a better idea because there, there's going to be an upset or two. I think the Redwoods scare me a oh, little yeah. bit. I think that they have a potential of knocking a team off just because they can surprise you. Like, they're a team that can play their best game yeah. and shut you down defensively and go on and win. So, you know, so. Hey, look, the chaos did last year. Surprised everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the way. So. That, that's, I mean, that's what this league is. I mean, yeah. it, the margin of victory, and I talked to Ryan Slim. Conrad about that um, a few days ago. He said it, it's just so thin, razor thin. The, between one and seven, there isn't much of a difference depending on the day. Yeah. Um, so we'll do more of a, a I'll do more of a preview next week entering the uh, quarterfinals of the uh, PLL uh, playoffs. We and I. Yeah, it's now. Sorry, starting to set in a little bit. Um, let's let's talk. I'll be watching. Good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good, uh, good time to transition. Let's transition to the World <laughs> Championships because we handed out a gold medal on Saturday. Team USA finishing off the tournament. They are now nine for nine in this event. What was? Yeah. Previously U19, this year was the U21 World Championships. This one, not nearly as dramatic as the one back in 2016 where they had to come from behind. It was tight late, and Canada gave them a run. But this United States team, as I mean, it's the most talented team we've seen because of the age group difference. Like, you got guys who are already college superstars that were starring on this team, and they all did their job, and they all bought in. I think that was my takeaway is that you had guys like a C.J. Kirst, who was one of the best attackmen in the country this year and led his Cornell team to the Final Four, who's playing midfield and still contributing. Yeah, I mean, I think that you had the two guys, two of the guys in this game that we'll be talking about in May as the 
top two leading contenders for the tour, Ton and Brennan O'Neill and CJ Kirst, have their some of their biggest games of this tournament. Seeing Brennan O'Neill and, and Spurts was once again the best player on the field. And I think if he can capture that and be consistent in that week by week in the college season, we're talking about one of the best seasons of all time. And I think he showed that in this tournament. He was much more consistent game by game, found his place. And there are times where, you know, you get to give him the ball, he goes to the right or the left, he can make a move and score. Yeah. And then you saw Kirst just fit the role. And I think for him, that's so cool as a young player just to say, tell me what to do. I'll go out there and I'm going to make it things happen. You know, whether that was feeding or finishing, I mean, he was the best player on the field. And uh, I, I don't know. Like you said, he, he was a great young attackman, you know, one of the best in the country for Cornell. And I don't know if everyone really realized that until, the, like, to me, this was more of a breakout than maybe his college. Like, his college yeah. season was awesome, but, he, you know, he's got his brothers, there's cursed, and there's the family aspect of that that kind of takes over the story. Then you look at, just look at C.J. Kirst on his own. This is a stud. This is one of the best players in the country, regardless of his brothers, right? You know, this almost felt like the what this tournament was like before, whereas it was basically like coming out parties yep. for guys who you knew were then going to turn into college stars. Yep. I think we knew who C.J. Kirst was because yep. Cornell made the Final Four. Like, if Cornell doesn't make the Final Four, I think this is a complete surprise. But he makes the Final Four, and so that was, oh, we gotta, we're going to have to watch this kid for years to come. Yeah. And then this happens, and you go, not only do we have to watch this kid for years to come, this kid this year is going to be one of the guys that we're going to be yes. talking about from the very beginning. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. It was very much a – I don't know if it was exactly the coming out party because I felt like that was the final four, but it was like the stamp of approval of, oh, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and I think that this was some dominance by Team USA. I do think that that game, as close as the score was, I didn't doubt USA was going to win. I didn't either. Right? You're right. You know, from watching from minute one to minute 60, it was like – yeah, Canada will score a couple in a row, and maybe they'll get some momentum. But it just felt like the way those games went, you know, over the course of the week, U.S. had control and knew exactly what they were doing, you know, over the course of the of the that entire 60 minutes in the gold medal game, especially. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't the second game that Canada figured him out and, and got that early lead. U.S. never let that be a question. No, no, they. I mean, that because the first game was tight yeah. early. Like Canada had its had its chances there. They just couldn't figure out the face-off X. They then figure out the face-off right, X Bo in Columbus, the championship. Oh, I think had, uh, he was more than 50% yeah. against Naso and Stadek. Figured it out, yeah. and it didn't matter. Yeah. Because this, it, I, it, I want to say the defense, the defense was not nearly – like Liam Entenmann in goal wasn't nearly as good as he was in other tournament, other games yeah. in this tournament. Like holding the Haudenosaunee to install a couple of goals in the semifinal, really impressive. But the defense as a whole, guys like the Kenny Browers, the Michael Alexander, I think that's where, to me, having guys with collegiate experience playing at places like Duke and Yale helped make this group stand out like it just yeah. felt like they were just locked in yeah and Canada of course you saw guys like Owen Hiltz have some nice flashes Ross over the Scott. course Ross Scott as well had a really good tournament it was shut down a bit in that final game um so I mean Canada had their their moments but it just felt like top to bottom team USA once again had the most depth and in this instance in the field game because of course we saw what happened in sixes with a pretty young team USA roster there yeah. too um where, where Canada had the upper hand there just playing that style but it, when it comes to this style 
it felt like Team USA had every answer that was possibly required for Canada. They had two great face-off guys. Entman, with he was needed to make saves, he would have done that. It's what he displayed all tournament right. long. So, I mean, it's, it's a dominant perf- – I don't know what else you can say about Team Stop USA. It. You know, at, like, at this point, it, this is kind of – and it, it's interesting what will happen now in four years as it goes to U-20 – how yeah. that'll impact things and how many years these guys will have an experience at that point, too. What do you think the biggest difference is? And I'll follow up this question with my answer. What do you think the biggest difference is between like what we're seeing here at this level, whether it's U19, U20, U21, between Canada and the United States and what we're seeing at the senior level? Because it's pretty clear at the senior level that it's like the flip of a coin between the Team USA and Canada because we've seen it now yeah. over a handful of world championship events at that level. But at the junior level, it hasn't seemed to be nearly as close. I think, especially it, not this time. It's got to be, I'd imagine, field experience, right? In terms of the, the Canadian players getting that, you know, because you see that. I mean, they have the experience in box. They start young in box. You got the junior A, junior B, C, whatever it's going to have, and the kids are going up playing box. And then once they get to college, then you start to see, you know, remember Ty Kurtz for uh, Hofstra, right? Or uh, Delaware. 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 Sorry, for Delaware. You know, it was the first time he played field, you know, as a full season, his freshman year. And he was outstanding. So for him to finally get break into the field game and be that good, you wonder, you know, does the, do those years of experience add up for the senior teams at the end of the day? You know, you know what I mean? And then you get that experience and they're a lot more, they're better in that senior aspect because of that. Whereas the junior levels, you know, they might have a couple years of field experience, but they don't have as much, at, you know, to be able to develop. And they can develop very quickly because they have all the fundamentals from the box game on the senior level, too. You hit the nail on the head, and I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive end Mm. because we see great offensive players from Canada in the college game. You see less guys who are defensive players who are great with poles because they, like, when it being a short stick D midi, yeah, it translates from the box game. But playing pole is a different thing altogether, and that's where I feel like that gap continues. They figured it out at the senior level because you're right. You've got more guys who have more experience playing with the pole yeah. further on, but it had they haven't figured it out yet. That and the faceoff X. So the faceoff is just less important box. True. Yeah. I mean, so I, I th- Bo Columbus had a really good tournament. He figured it out. I mean, G- give fact, him a lot of credit. I mean, I think that first game, you're adjusting to international rules, yeah, right? Which is and, and different. And then he goes perfect against Ireland. I mean, I, I don't care who was on the other end. You go perfect. I'm sorry. You, you yeah. are doing something right. And then he wins 15 to 20, 28. Is that what we said? Um, 15 to 28, something like that against Team USA. And two face-off guys that play collegiately and have for a few years now. So, yeah, like I think he had to figure out the rules first. And, True. And then, and then it did click for him pretty quickly. Yeah. I, so they're not as far behind there as I think, as, as you think. No. Even I mean, though Will Columbus is back up on his college team. <laughs> which is really amazing in that. You will keep an eye on it. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> he, he should take some more face-offs yeah, this year. For sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, I, we talked about the pressure going in. I give all the credit in the world to this Team USA team because having the pressure of never having lost this event, you never want to be the one that loses it. No. And you have to wear that throughout the, the tournament. And these guys, it just never seemed to phase them. It no. just, they, they walked in there. They had business to attain to. and. To, and they, they got it done. The standards remain high, and that's for a reason. And yep. we'll see what they do in, hopefully, four years from now. <laughs> hopefully, we have not, none of this crossed. ever again. Keep, um, keep that thing going. Yeah, we spoke with the goalie for Team USA earlier today, Liam Entman. Here's that interview. So fresh off winning that gold medal with Team USA, we have the goalie of Team USA, Liam Entman, joining us now. Uh, Liam, 
sum up what it's like winning that gold medal after all the, the years and the waiting that was that went into this event to finally this past Saturday have that medal go around your neck. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible experience overall. I mean, the whole the whole process leading up to the actual tournament was, was definitely a long one. It was a hard one at times. I mean, our tournament got pushed back twice. And after the the, uh, the first pushback, we thought it wasn't going to get, you know, played at all. So it was definitely a very emotional win. I think a lot of guys that were on the team for the, for the last three years, like the emotional investment, not only just with the time spent and, you know, the the time spent at the, at the headquarters or training camps in Columbus, but more so the emotional attachment to the team was definitely uh, evident after we won. But overall, it was an incredible experience and goes without saying, I mean, gold, winning that gold medal has been the highlight of my athletic career and one of the highlights of my life, honestly, too. Yeah, I got to imagine when those final seconds tick off, you beat Canada in that gold medal game. Uh, what was a battle? It felt like, you know, for the second time in that tournament. That has to be a very unique feeling, right? I, I can imagine nothing else feels like that in life, at, at least from, from what from your experience so far. Yeah, it definitely felt different. I mean, I've been fortunate enough at Notre Dame to play in some big games. You know, the Duke rivalry is a huge one. The UVA rivalry is a huge one. The UNC, Syracuse, and really a lot of the games that we play are big rivalries. But um, I think everyone agreed. You know, it, it's just a different feeling. Put it on that USA and, 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 and you know, standing across the field from, you know, the Canadians and also the Haudenosaunee and the other teams we played. It was, it was definitely a very unique experience and a special one at that as well. What is the bond like between this team? You know, you guys, from the time that you met as part of the tryout process, like a lot has changed for all you guys life-wise in, in terms of like where you are, what schools you're at, how you guys have uh, continued to grow throughout the, the college game into stars. Like, where, What's the bond like between the guys, especially the ones of you, the guys of you that have been part of this thing since like 2018, 2019? Yeah, it's definitely a unique one. Um, it's it's interesting, too, because a lot of the guys that are on this team, I mean, guys that stand out to me as far as like Kenny Brower, Jake Naso, Brennan O'Neill, Quentin Matsui are guys that we have, you know, like I said a bit a few minutes ago, have very intense rivalries with in college. But, you know, off the field, I know they're all good guys. And uh, I had a lot of, you know, really good quality time spent with a lot of those guys. So it's definitely a unique bond in the sense that, you know, in season we're arch rivals, but off the field and certainly at this event we're we're all – good friends and we're pursuing a common goal. Um, and as far as, you know, the guys that have been, been a part of the process from the beginning, and even the guys that got in on late, everyone bought in the same way. Um, and it's been, it was a very special event overall. A very special feeling. You know, we've heard about this, of course, in, in Team USA iterations in the past, whether that be the senior team, the women's team, the, the junior, the under 21 team. How do you hone the egos? Like, how do you come together? How is it, how tough is it to kind of push those aside to, to form this one team for one goal? Yeah, that's actually one thing that really stood out to me as far as how the guys in our team kind of went about their business. Nobody had an ego. I mean, you, you have a lot of guys. You have Tawarton finalists, first-team All-Americans, national champions, um, you know, guys that were you – know, you name it, All-Americans, high school rankings, any, anything you can name, guys have, have accomplished that on the, on this team. Uh, and, and, and with that being said, it didn't factor in it how anybody – went about their business. Everyone really um, bought in and you have guys like CJ curse stands out to me as a great example was freshman of the year in the Ivy league played in the national championship game as an attackman. And just because of the way, you know, the way things worked out, he was a midfielder on our team and he could have very easily said, you know, this is not what I signed up for or 
you know, I, I, I want to be, I want to be the star of the team, or I want, I want to be the guy that's scoring the most goals or the most points or whatever it may be. And he did quite the opposite. He, he, he bought in completely and, um, and, you know, had a huge game for us in the gold medal. As <laughs> yeah. it was right. That much more impressive. Yeah. But yeah, everyone, everyone bought in. Yeah. It, was, it was a great experience. We talk about the delays, and obviously it was a tournament that was supposed to happen in 2020, and, and you were in a different spot in terms of, like, your lacrosse career and personally. Like, how have you changed and evolved throughout this whole process? And, I mean, how different do you think it would have been playing in 2020 as opposed to 2022? Yeah, me and a few of the guys on the team were actually talking about that. Like, what what would the difference be? I definitely think, and this goes, you know, certainly for my team, I definitely think it would go for the Canadians and, and pretty, pretty much any team that has a large percentage of their guys that have played in college. It's definitely um, definitely a different kind of experience compared from that to, uh, you know, from what it would have been in high school to uh, how it was now that we're rising seniors in college. Um I think just physically speaking, we we were all much more developed. Um, I also think too, just as far as being a good teammate goes, you know, if guys that, you know, I think if, if we were in a different spot in high school where, you know, everyone's the superstar of their team in high school and they, and, and they don't have that kind of bigger world perspective of, you know, being a, a good team and a college team, it, it would have just been a different experience overall. But I mean, individually speaking, I could definitely say it was different, um, not in a better or worse way. I mean, actually probably a better way, honestly, just just being able to, you know, have the experience of college and um, and, and apply that to to, you know, pursuing a gold medal. What were your impressions of Ireland? It was a little it was a little rainy at times, but it was actually kind of funny because we were expecting you know, I'm mostly Irish. So I always hear from you know my grandparents how it was always always rainy and, 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 and cold and dark. But we actually the first week that we were there was it was like an uncharacteristic historic heat wave. Um, and our first game versus Canada was at noon. And um, I was definitely a little uncomfortably hot there. I mean, I, you know, I kind of. I always wear the sweatpants out of superstition and that, that game specifically, I was like, man, what am I doing here? You know, it was definitely, uh, definitely, um, weather-wise it was interesting as a whole. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful country. It's a beautiful country. I was there when I was five years old, but I didn't really, you know, remember much of that, uh, on an off day, we went to the cliffs of more, I think it's called. And that was really cool just to see, you know, basically just have a front row seat to the uh, you know Atlantic Ocean from 500 feet <laughs> above yeah. the sea level. So that was pretty cool. Uh, it was really, it was overall just a great experience. I mean, we stayed on the University of Limerick campus and that was kind of cool to see, you know, a different college outside of Notre Dame. You know, that's kind of all that I'm used to and, you know, the handful of colleges that we have away games at. But it was definitely interesting to see, you know, what what other uh, other countries and other universities in those countries are like. Yeah. I mean, between you and, and Pat Cavanaugh, like you got a lot of Irish going on here <laughs> between the Notre Dame connection. And you go to Ireland. They, they, you got to have some luck now on your side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I think there were a good amount of, you know, good amount of uh, Irish kids there that were Notre Dame fans. Just because we're the fighting Irish, I guess yeah. you have to kind of latch on to that yeah. as an Irish person. But um, that, that's why I started rooting for Notre Dame is because I'm Irish and, hey. you know, has, has it in the name. But um <laughs> Yeah, it was great. Definitely, definitely a lot of Irish between me and Pat. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I, I do want to ask about like the culture and, and the experience off the lacrosse field there in Limerick, because from like what uh, Coach Nick Myers was saying and everybody, it so seemed like it was just like almost kind of a lip Olympic type atmosphere of uh, like all these teams kind of intermingling throughout the tournament. What was it like for you? And, and what, what stands out about like a memory of getting to maybe experience a different culture you're maybe not used to? 
Yeah, that was honestly one of the most uh, unique parts and the most special parts for me. And I think I can speak for pretty much every guy, every guy on my team when I say it, say the same thing for them. Um, we were in, we weren't really, didn't really know what to expect going into it. We weren't sure if it was going to be a hotel or townhouses. And that's what it ended up being a town. We were in, you know, townhouses in kind of a, a, a village setting on the, uh, on the campus. Uh, we were neighbors with the Japanese kids who were really cool guys. I was able to meet the two goalies on that team and trade gear at the end of the tournament. Um, and then at the beginning of the uh, opening ceremony, we had like kind of a, a, a bit of a mosh pit with some some other of the other a mosh pit dance off, if you want to call it that, with some <laughs> of the uh, other countries. And I think Team Uganda was there. Team Jamaica was there. I want to say Kenya, Latvia. And then at, towards the end, the Haudenosaunee Nationals walked over and, and joined us. So that was really that was really cool. Very humbling as well. Just just seeing how far the sport has kind of reached as far as these different countries. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really ever think about how, how wide of a, how, how wide of a reach the, the sport has outside of, you know, the U S Canada and the, the, um, the Haudenosaunee uh, nationals, but there was a lot of, a lot of talent there. It was um, one of the other, other cool parts was my team was able to witness the first ever uh, goal that Uganda has ever scored in an or, uh, organized um match or competitive match, I guess you can say. So that was really cool. We were up there with the with Team Kenya and, and celebrated together. So that was, you know, obviously winning a gold medal was the goal. And we did that. And that was, you know, an incredibly special part of of, of that tournament as well. But being able to meet other people and uh from other countries that I otherwise would have never knew existed was, you know, just as special. Yeah, what was it like to kind of see where different countries are at in terms of their development? You mentioned Japan, who seems like they've picked it up and, and they have honed things that I mean, they finished yeah. in fifth. What, what a, a tournament they had. And then Uganda, who you can tell they're still figuring things out. But also, like you said, they're scoring goals. They're competing in tournaments like that. What was it like to see you know, where different countries are at in terms of their development of lacrosse? Yeah, that was incredible, too. I mean, you know, like I said, I kind of before the tournament, I thought it was kind of just the North American countries were the ones that were the most, the most dominant, but I'll, I, you know, I, I think for sure that, you know, you look down in the next decade, there's going to be teams like Japan, um, Israel, Ireland, teams like that, that'll really be, um, you know, becoming better and better. Um, Japan had a great tournament. So we were really happy for them, you know, just being there, uh, being their neighbors in the village, um, you know, every time, every time they got back, they were really happy and, you know, they congratulated us. And um, when we won and when they won, we congratulated them. So, that was really cool as well. And like you said, Uganda, um, you know, being able to, you know, witness their first goal and, and seeing, you know, what, what the potential they have is that was, that was really cool as well. Um, yeah, overall it was great, but there's, it's definitely growing. That That's one thing I can say for sure is it is growing for sure. Uh, I want to move this forward to you getting a chance, uh, getting ready for another season at Notre Dame, because I wonder, especially how disappointing it was for you guys to be left out of the tournament last year. Like, how good did it feel to get back on the field in a competitive big moment like this at the international stage, considering what you probably felt like kind of got, like, torn out from you at the end of last year? Yeah, it definitely felt good, honestly. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't, you know, leave, you know, last season with kind of a, you know, bad taste in my mouth as far as how it ended. Um, it was very unfortunate that, you know, we weren't able to to compete for, you know, a national championship in, in, in the postseason. Um, so being able to win the gold medal, you know, just a few months later, definitely, um, you know, made maybe, maybe made a little better. I don't know. It's still, it still sings. I'm not going to lie. That selection Sunday really still sings. And I think about it every day. But 
you know, on the same token, the, you know, ha- experiencing the feeling of winning a gold medal after, you know, three years of postponement, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, kind of lines up with the opportunity to win a national championship after three years of, you know, kind of tough endings where, you know, my, fr- my freshman year was COVID shut it down my sophomore year, you know, with, you know, a, a, a tough loss to, I mean, great team in Maryland who we lost to, but, you know, heartbreak end of our season as far as losing an OT. Um, and then junior year, obviously, you know, just talked about that, but being able to, you know, kind of line those two things up and, and seeing a lot of the similarities makes me, and I'm sure for, you know, Pat as well, you know, that much more hungry to, to be able to, you know, win a national championship this year. And I feel like, you know, that's obviously the goal and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, starts today working towards it first, first day back on campus and stay one of that, that mission. Yeah, I'd imagine that bad taste is a lot of fuel for this fall. Like, you, I, you don't want to leave a doubt, right, this spring when it comes to the, the selection Sunday. That, that probably is giving you guys a lot of motivation. It definitely is, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where um, you don't want it, like you just said, you don't want to leave any doubt. You don't want it to be, are we going to play? It's going to be, you know, and it's not a matter of are we playing, it's going to be who are we playing. That, that, that's the biggest thing. Um, so, you know, just going to, you know, keep plugging along and, and I'm very confident in our group. I'm very confident in my, you know, my senior class. I mean, they're, you know, they've been my best friends now for the last three years and I'm, you know, I'm really excited and I'm sure they are too, to, you know, be able to step up as, as leaders on this team and, you know, lead Notre Dame back to, uh, where we belong. Uh, I, I know you guys have some some transfers coming in and some big name guys and in, in Chris Fake and, and Brian Tevlin joining you from Yale and I mean Fake is a guy that will probably be playing right in front of you. Have you like how do you feel about some of the the new guys you have kind of getting intermingled? Have you ch- had a chance to talk with them yet? Uh, I met a handful of them uh, a few times around campus and um, they're great guys. I mean obviously you know we you know we bring in great players and. I think we have four guys from from counting them up, right? Um, all great additions on the field, but I also think that you know one thing that we really stress on our team is, or not stress, but emphasize on our team is is is, is the character and what they're going to bring. Are they going to be good locker room guys? Because you know they can be great players, and you know they, we did bring in four great players, but it's more important that they got to be you know great people and great teammates, and 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 that's what I've found is. We've done a great job of that the last few years. I mean, obviously, with with everything with COVID, it's become more common to bring bringing in transfers and. You know, I, I can't think of a guy that that I would consider in my, you know, whatever it's been two years of, of fifth year transfers has been a bad addition. They've all been great guys and great players. So I um I'm very excited to, you know, develop a relationship with this with these four guys. And, you know, I'm 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 sure they're, you know, excited to, you know, help us out, help us win. Yeah, it kind of felt like, you know, at college sports already had, you know, sort of could be kind of wild, you know, at times with, with who chooses to go to schools, maybe commitment flips for kids going in. Now that's sort of taken to another degree with some of these transfers. It's got to be very interesting to kind of be an experience that guy's coming in in your case, but just to see what's going on, right? To, to see, okay, this guy's going here now. We got to prepare for this team this way. It's got, I'm sure that's really interesting for you. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's kind of, it, it kind of, it's become kind of like a free agency feel at the end of every season, you know, where, where are these guys going to be going? And obviously specifically just because of the logistics of how the Ivy league guys, you know, aren't able to go back to their schools, you know, where are they going to be going? Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely becomes interesting. Um, and, you know, you're kind of, I, I find myself more, uh, more frequently, you know, checking, you know, where, you know, where different guys are going more so than I, I do during the season or, you know, than I did high, when I was in high school. Um, but at the same time, I mean, once the teams are set, the preparation is the same every week. You just have to prepare the same way. And and it's 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 more about just, you know, stopping the team as a whole. And 
obviously you got to make sure that one guy and whether it be an offensive guy doesn't get too hot or, or one defensive guy doesn't, you know, dominate as far as scouting the other teams goes, but it's more about just, it's prepping for the whole team. It's not, you know, it's not just one guy. Uh, but yeah, at, at the same time, it's definitely interesting to see where, you know, everyone, everyone moves on the, on the chessboard. Yeah, you spend those summers refreshing Twitter and Instagram a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, admittedly. Yeah, I try to try to limit the social media, but sometimes, especially when it's that you know free free agency feel, yeah. you gotta gotta look look at it a bit more. Well, hey, Liam, we appreciate the time. I know you're back there on campus. Classes have started, so hit the books, uh, hit the field. We can't wait to see you guys back in action this spring. And uh, congratulations once again on the gold medal. Well deserved. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Have a good one. Thanks, Liam. Thanks to Liam for taking some time. Really impressive job he did in goal. And I, I really liked him talking about how he admitted, like, yeah, it, it was. It felt good to win a, a medal after being left mm -hmm. out of the NCAA tournament. And the him liking it, likening it to the three years it took him to get to the World Championships to now three years in college. Maybe keep mm -hmm. an eye on Notre Dame this Interesting. year. Interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see what it'll be like when they go play each other again. Like he's like, yeah, we were <laughs> rivals on the field. We had to come together, and now they are back to being playing Duke yeah, and Ohio yeah, State. Like those guys are going to be very yeah. competitive uh, because they're fighting for a lot there uh, when it comes to the fall and spring. Uh, so this tournament as a whole, because it was more than just U.S. and Canada fighting for the gold medal, we saw some incredible moments over the course of this tournament. Tom, you were on the call for a, like a gazillion games over the last <laughs> week and a half. Maybe not that many, but a lot. And so I open the floor to you. What are some of the moments that you'll take away from having a chance to broadcast some of these games here on LSN? Um, I think the... It was really interesting. We talked about, you know, about this with some of our guests too. But just to reiterate, the, the where each country is in terms of lacrosse, how quickly they developed, when lacrosse started in a lot of these different places, and where it's come and and been since then, and and where now these teams are fitting on this junior level, which I think is really interesting. That it's this level where you see development happening, and how quick is that happening? You look at a team like Japan, and we've talked about Japan a little bit here. I mean, they finish in fifth, which will punch their ticket into Group A. And that's something, don't forget, Japan has competed in this tournament before in Group A. The last time they did, though, was in 2008. So they're a little bit farther removed from that. But something else to remember is the fact that Japan is also one of the countries, and most of the countries here, this is the case, 90% of the guys that play on these teams, or the guys that play lacrosse, start when they're in their first year, second year in college. That's yeah. when they're introduced into the sport. So how quickly can they master it in that time? And that's what I think was really interesting about the U21, you know, the fact that the age, because the COVID was bumped up you know, a couple of years, I wasn't sure right, about it at first. I was a little, I was like, ah, oh, U21, you're really letting a big pool of players that have a lot of experience. Is it really a junior tournament anymore? But I think it provided for more competitiveness. Because just like we were talking about earlier in the program, the Canadians getting that field experience, when you add a couple of years, you're adding a couple of years of experience to players around the world that might have started lacrosse a little later, right? Because in Japan, you're going to start with baseball, right? And at the end of the day, and then maybe you'll figure your way around that. And maybe you'll pick up a lacrosse stick as you go on. But like I said, there's a stat, 90% of those lacrosse players aren't starting until they get into college. So this allowed them to get a couple extra years of experience and then finish in fifth. 
And I think that happened for a lot of these different countries across the board where they were able to experience and have a little more experience in that where for their first time in this tournament, they were able to perform really well. You saw that from Puerto Rico. You saw that for the Netherlands, Jamaica, all teams that really performed well and and showed us what you can do with a couple more years. So I know it's going to go down to U20, but I kind of like that it's bumped up a little bit more and make it a little bit more competitive for those five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 and 11 spots. And that also causes other countries which I thought was really interesting, to say, okay, where are we now? Because yeah. you bump up from 14 to 23, there's a lot more competitive countries in there. So you look at a team like Israel who, you know, they host the men's senior championships in 2018. They struggled a little bit in this tournament because of some of the, the gains that other countries have made because of some of the newer countries that have been involved. So that makes everything a lot more competitive. And now that, I would imagine, would make Israel better and say a, a country that's really invested in lacrosse, they're going to go back in and say, okay, what did we, what are we missing here that we've had in the past, but other countries have sort of caught up on us already on, at this? Well, and I think the fascinating thing about having a couple of world championship events, we actually kind of had three yeah. world events this summer, is seeing across different genders, men's and women's, and different levels and different forms of the sport, where are these countries? And I think the thing that stands out to me about Japan is it's not just like one team. It wasn't just this U21 men's team that had a great summer. Their women's team did well. Their uh, sixes team did incredibly by finishing the final four of the, of the, the world games. Yeah. And so you're looking at it not only for some of these countries just in one particular event. You're looking at how the sport has just risen and the level has risen across all ages and all genders and levels and I think that has been one of the cool things about this summer is not only seeing where these countries are in specific events but seeing how it's been broadened throughout the entire program for some of these countries yeah and, and something to strive for being it was really cool being able to do Japan's games and know that Tomoya Sodayama was their number one matchup defender like they were able to say they had Sodayama who's going to go and get the number one guy in the other team and he did that all tournament long yeah so to be able to have that asset and be able to be that recognizable in your athleticism and be able to go do that and have that be part of your strategy I think is a big part of the development like you said of where everybody else is trying to get to and where you can find niches like that because as soon as you know you have guys in some of these other countries that we're doing it all I mean they're the best athlete on the field they're taking the face off going down and playing offense going back and playing defense I mean Eric McCallion for Sweden he won 70% of his face offs he's going state in offense you yeah. know it's not like he's a face off get off guy he's one of the best athletes on the field he's going to stay in and play you know on the offensive end too so you see some of where the athletes are and then maybe where you can specialize some of those athletes to be that guy be that matchup defender be that main attacker where maybe some of the different countries are trying to catch up to each other in that but that's where you, you see the different levels as the tournament goes on which i think is really cool what game did you do that really stood out I thought the Japan-Puerto Rico game was awesome. That was 10-9. to 9. Um, I don't think that one went into overtime, but that was, you know, Group B play was really competitive between Japan. You could see it was, it, we built up to that because yeah. they had both gone through Czech Republic and Israel, looked pretty good in that, and that was the the – the exclamation point of that group whereas you could see those two teams on a collision course and it really set up for a great matchup and it just so happened Japan was the better team that day like they play again you're not sure what happened I would love yeah. to see a series or see <laughs> them compete on a different scale I think those games were fun and of course when we had the fifth place bracket on LSN the two semifinals in the final what two of the three went into overtime one went into double OT like we had some great 
matchups. And that's why we talk about how competitive it was in that kind of third tier, you could say, of teams. Because you have the Canada and U.S. up here. You have Australia, Haudenosaunee and Australia. And then between England, Puerto Rico, Japan, um, you know, Ireland was in the yeah. mix there as well, and, and Jamaica. They're all teams that you could see maybe in the next four years find themselves competing for that top group. I mean, you think about it, and we're about to talk to Michael Kennedy from Ireland and Sean Mallory, the head coach of Puerto Rico, and both of them mentioned this. Like, you look at, you go, like, numbers four in the world, like, with England through nine yeah like they, it's tight yeah you had a bunch of, i mean england was involved in a bunch of one goal games puerto rico involved in a bunch of one goal games ireland same thing here down the stretch of figuring out the ultimate seating of this tournament so those games i think it was the fifth place game was a one goal game the seventh place game was a one goal game and a couple of two goal games in the the three third place games you're really a lot of teams there in the mix yeah and it, you know, for some of those teams, yeah, U.S. and Canada are, are ahead. You know, we all know that. Clearly, yeah. But Ireland, you know, if they don't lose every faceoff, you're a lot more competitive with Canada. You look at that, you watch that game, and you realize that in the second half, they said, okay, we're just going to play defense. And they tried to do that as best they could. Credit to them for that. That's a much closer game than you think. So there are circumstances and there are ways that you can compete at that level. And the more they're able to do that, the better. I mean, for me personally, I think I like now that U21 level to be able to give these guys some more experience. I think sixes, of course, would even that playing field even more. That's, of course, a different discipline for a different conversation for a different time. But I think that also would help because you look at the depth as another part yeah. of this. And some of these countries, I mean, Uganda lost one of their best players, I think, on day three of the tournament. And he, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he did everything for them. Yeah. And you could immediately see a drop off there. You know what I mean? And some of these countries, U.S. and Canada, don't have that problem because you can go put someone else in there. Well, that is the great you know? thing about sixes is that you need a handful of great players or great athletes to represent your country yeah. in order to compete and if you had it's a lot easier to find five or six guys that can compete with the likes of a u.s or canada than it is to find 10 to 15 that mm -hmm. you need in order to compete in the field game so it does give some of these countries the opportunity to compete at that level and then continue to build up to what you want to do at the field level yeah. on the field game as well. Uh, John McClain, our producer, he did a bunch of our games uh, with us. Joseph Ngawe was, was the player on Uganda. He was dynamic. He was fun. And then he got hurt. I think it was a knee injury early on. And we were doing the game. And it, you could see the difference it made. And you're like, there, you, you want to say next man up, but that doesn't yeah. really exist. You know, <laughs> you've got 20 guys there, and that's it. That's it. I mean, and, and he is one of the three or four best athletes on that team where you can't just replace him. So to, to be able to start leveling that playing field, you've got to find ways to grow that depth. And if sixes is an opportunity for a team like Uganda to get involved in that, I would love to see a World Sixes international tournament, right? I mean, right now we have the World Games for that. I think that's kind of what the place for that is. But if you can create that, if you're creating that discipline, I would love to see that on like a world uh, championship type level where you're doing that in lacrosse. You know? I, I hope that would be one of the next steps in the push to the Olympics because I think it's fat. I think it was fascinating in the world games to see how that discipline evolved and how teams adjusted because yeah. everybody's playing it for the first time in a competitive, meaningful game. And so I think that hopefully is the next step of 
World Lacrosse hosting some kind of event like that because I think it's just going to continue to evolve and show us what is possible with that discipline. Yeah, um, real quick before we move on here, just the first-time teams. Puerto Rico yep. finishing in eighth. Netherlands, the 13th, they won the platinum bracket. So they won big games to get and win that spot. That was the best spot you could get if you were in groups D and E, which were teams that were a part of developing you know, countries right. and things like that. Christian Delarocco, Bellarmine Jr., led the tournament in points. So watch Rim and Bellarmine this year. Yeah. Sweden, Jonas Hunter, we had here on LSN. He was one of the most dynamic scorers of the tournament. They finished in 15th in their first appearance. I mentioned Eric McCallion. And then um, Jamaica finishing in ninth. I think their development is something we need to watch. Joshua McLaughlin, a former LB3 elite player from Georgia. And then you have Kyrie Sears, UMass Lowell sophomore, playing really well for them. So those first-time teams, especially Jamaica, I think we should keep an eye on as things move forward. And with that, you have teams like Israel go from 6th to ninth. Germany go from 8th to 12th. So you get other teams in the mix – all of a sudden, it gets a lot more competitive for these countries that feel like they've gained some ground. They're like, oh, now there's a big old wave of more countries coming. Now what are we going to do? I hey, think that competition will breed some more excellence. We talk about Ireland. Like, they stayed status quo from back in 2016, but that's a win it because was, there was more competition this time around. Oh, it and was the hard. level of play was – it was – better than what we saw in 2016. Yeah. This was the most competitive we've seen it. Yeah, it was not easy for Ireland to do that. No. I mean, they were they were close to be able to getting a little bit better than that, but at the end of the day, uh, that was really difficult for them just to be able to stick around in that seventh spot. Like, yeah. holding that spot, like I said, you see some of the teams fall back. China took some steps back as well, so for, the, for them to hold there, and now you can kind of move on, it's, I think it's really big, and that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, if you're trying to grow these programs. So speaking of Ireland, the, the reason this tournament took place, I mean, he was the, the driving force. Michael Kennedy, the CEO <laughs> of Ireland Lacrosse, he put so much blood, sweat, tears into making sure this event took place. It finally did. We had a chance to catch up with him earlier today. We bring in now the CEO of Ireland Lacrosse, Michael Kennedy, and uh, Michael just wrapping up the U21 Men's World, the Men's World Championships in Ireland. How do you feel after all of the time that you put in over the years, the delays? What's it like here on this Tuesday, 48 hours removed from it all, to maybe step back and say, look at what we've done? Yeah, I mean, a feeling of relief, uh, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, there were ups and downs throughout the tournament. Uh, thankfully, more ups than downs. And, um, you know, we we kind of weathered the storm literally and figuratively, <laughs> you know, whenever they arose. And, you know, I would certainly want to thank, like, all the staff that were involved. We had such a great group of people. And, you know, we were problem solvers. And that was really good, you know. Mm. You're always going to have problems with a big event, but if you have people who are in problem-solving mode and can address those and are communicating with people, you know, it made such a difference. But, like, yeah, the feeling is one of relief. <laughs> <laughs> After the, the years of delays and not knowing if this tournament was actually going to take place in Ireland with, through 2020 and 2021, did the reality live up to what you hoped and expected it to be like? I would actually say it was it was actually better than what I thought it would be um, because I think you know uh, you know a lot of people may not know but uh, lacrosse is still like really a developing sport here in Ireland they call it you know a minority sport we we might have maybe 300 players in the whole country right 
So to have this level of an event, you know, on this scale and the level of interest, I mean, the atmosphere at the final uh, was fantastic. Lots of local people coming out to see, uh, you know, people bringing their hurlies, you know, because hurling is a, a native Irish sport, like a stick and ball, and wanting to meet and show each other. I mean, the atmosphere was just incredible. So it, I'm very pleased uh, to report that I felt like it was better than what I expected. And of course, the good weather had a lot to do with that too. I'm sure I can imagine. You mentioned ups and downs. What was the big, was there a biggest up for you, like a highlight of the, the tournament? I would say personally, um, you know, in past events, including even this summer, like in the women's worlds in uh, in Towson, I know the Uganda women's team weren't able to travel in the end. So for me, the biggest up, I would say, is that all the teams eventually made it. Yeah. You know, like last minute, uh, like Uganda actually seemed to go quite smoothly. Um, with Kenya, um, there was a lot of like last minute stuff. Um, like one of the mornings I was on the phone to the Irish embassy in Nairobi, in Kenya, you know, like trying to plead the case uh, to get these uh, visas. And, you know, there was like first one group arrived and then the rest of them arrived, you know, so they all made it. And, and that was the main thing. And then, of course, the highlight for me uh, in all of that is the Haudenosaunee. You know, we know uh, <clears throat> they had uh, difficulty getting into the UK in 2010. And we had done so much groundwork and it, it really paid off mm. because we actually had people from the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs meet the Haudenosaunee team right off the plane mm. and escort them through customs and through the airport, you know. Mm. So, like, I'm just proud that all the teams made it and in particular that the Haudenosaunee were given the welcome that they deserve. Mm. That, that's so cool. And I, it speaks to what I think this event and the sport of lacrosse are all about is bringing people together. And it just felt like the atmosphere around it. I know Team USA spoke about it, how they just felt like this was a almost an Olympic type atmosphere of all these teams getting a chance to kind of mingle together and get to know all these different cultures. It seemed fascinating in terms of lacrosse, because you talked about how the country of Ireland doesn't know this sport well. What did have th having this culture and all of these people in the lacrosse world coming to your country mean for what it could show people in your country about the sport of lacrosse? Yeah, I mean, there's like so much commonality uh, between lacrosse and the Irish sport of hurling, right? Like stick and ball game um, played on a big field. You know, I think both sports compete uh, for the title of fastest game on grass. Um, and so even though people weren't familiar with lacrosse, they had this like route through which they could relate to it. Like, oh, it's just like hurling, but, you know, and that really opened a window to, hey, we can learn this because it's quite similar to something that we play. And, you know, we even, you know, we had the World Championship and then we also had the World Festival and we had some youth teams and we brought them <clears throat> to um, a local hurling club uh, called Mona Lean GAA Club. And we did like a 10-minute hurling game and then they all switched in a 10-minute lacrosse game. And then, you know, they had pizza afterwards and, and gave speeches and stuff. It was just 
a really good cultural experience. Yeah, that that's really neat. You know, like you said, in bringing people together to see these different cultures and be able to, see, you know, experience the sport of lacrosse and. At this level, I think it was really interesting to, to hear from a lot of the people from the first-timers, and we got to hear some of that feedback on our broadcast as well from someone like the Netherlands in their first, and Puerto Rico just happy about the exposure. And, of course, Ireland experiencing that at this level back in 2016. And I think it also lends to the fact you just mentioned of getting everybody there. Like you said, that was the biggest up. What do you think it does, you know, knowing that you just grew this tournament from 14 to 23 teams you know, that has to help the sport increase exponentially. Just hearing what we're, we've been hearing from all these first-time countries, I mean, that's got to be really cool to be a part of helping to grow it, not just in Ireland, but also internationally, too. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the key, uh, you know, so let's call it a silver lining uh, from the postponement, that mm -hmm. there were teams who weren't quite ready to compete or maybe didn't have players at under-19 level, but... Uh, you know, given the extra two years and the increased age level up to under 21, you know, they thought, oh, we could put a team together for this. So I think like Poland and Sweden, I think were two teams that only joined as a result of the postponement. And, you know, they're the ones like I, if I recall correctly, I think the women's world U19s in 2019 had 22 teams. So like that, those two teams, for example, are the ones that pushed it over uh, to make it a, a record number of teams. And I think the other important thing about that, uh, which you've highlighted, is, you know, a small country like Ireland, you know, where the sport isn't huge, can still host a huge mm. event like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. And, um, you know, you talked about the venue and I, and I saw Coach Myers, you know, his comments about the venue and it was like an Olympic village stop. Like, you don't need to have a massive stadium. You know, you don't need to have state-of-the-art, really expensive facilities to make for a great event. You can, you can get that greatness through the sense of community, the sense of, like, intercultural exchange, um, all those sorts of things. So we were able to offer those uh, elements. And, um, and I think it's – I would like to see that it should – encourage small countries like Ireland um, to bid to host these events that you can have a successful event too. You mentioned the venue, just had to add to that. That grass looked amazing <laughs> after 11 days. I don't know, from everything that you said, the heat and then rain, lightning, and you know, game after game, the grass looked really, really good, Michael. I mean, the, that venue was oh. also, a the University of Limited did a great job in the upkeep of grass fields over the course of a lot of teams, a lot of players of a lot of days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the shout out has to go to the guy there, the head groundskeeper named John O'Sullivan. Like he takes his craft very, very seriously. Um, he tends to that grass, you know, and it's like a carpet. I mean, if it looked, I, I, that, uh, what I was hearing is that it looked good on TV. When you see it in person, it is like a carpet. Mm. There isn't a single weed. I just, I don't know how he does it, but, you know, he's very meticulous about it. And even on the first day, you know, we were putting up tents, you know, like for the scorekeeper's table. And he was like, whoa, 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 we can't have those. They're going to kill the grass. You have to keep them open. I mean, he was really like fastidious about how he looked after that grass. And it shows, you know, and, and we're really pleased that the event got the coverage it did to show off his handiwork. Mm. 
Yeah, hey, John O'Sullivan, he has to be Irish. It's just the name and every, and he t tends to the grass. It's perfect. He's a true Irishman, and he did a terrific job with the, those grounds. Your country, Ireland, you guys finished in seventh just like you did back in 2016. What, what's the feel about Ireland's finish in a much bigger field, by the way, this time around, and maybe the most, it's certainly the most competitive I think we've ever seen? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It is, you know, seventh is the same where we finished in 2016. But as you said, you know, a lot more teams uh, this time around. And I think, you know, even though it's still the case that the gap between Canada and the U.S. and the rest was quite high, as it usually is, I think the gap amongst all the rest was much mm. narrower. And I think that is... Uh, um, you know, quite a significant development um, in international lacrosse that teams at that next level um, are, are really starting to um, catch up with one another. And, you know, some of the guys on that Irish team um, played for the U20 team in the 2019 European U20 Championship, which was in Prague. So it was just amazing to see, like, from my point of view as, as CEO of Ireland Lacrosse, we want people who want to come back, you know, who are program people who play in the tournament and they come back again. They want to play. And it was great to have that combination of some of those experienced guys from the 2019 team combined with some new guys. You know, of course, the fans for all the Ireland games came out. Great atmospheres there. For you, was there any, uh, like, a fan base that you saw that was a little louder? I mean, the, the, there was a game we did with Germany that had the Vuvuzelas <laughs> out there. We had, I heard some Latvia chants. Uh, you know, what, who, like, really brought it when it came to the spirit and, and the fandom? Uh, I was amazed at how many fans uh, Puerto Rico uh, brought with them, you know, because, like, Puerto Rico is really far away <laughs> from Ireland. So uh, it was really amazing. And they are very vocal, um, you know, all kinds of chanting and shouting. So I think there was a game where it was Puerto Rico against the USA, and that really had a really good atmosphere because both of them have uh, really strong uh, fan presence. And then um, there was a group of young Limerick kids, you know, maybe uh, probably somewhere between 12 and 14. Uh, and there was probably like 25 of them. And they just got really passionate about USA. <laughs> and they were jumping in the fans and they were singing all kinds of songs. And, you know, the USA fans kind of took them under their wing a little bit, which was nice to see. <laughs> Cultures coming together. Yeah. It's, it's what it's all about. Speaking of cultures coming together, what was the trip like to the pub on Saturday night once everything had, had closed down? Yeah, that was good. Luckily, uh, you know, amongst all the great facilities on campus, there's a really big pub. Uh, <laughs> and so um, you didn't have to drive or, or walk very far. And um, we had um, Irish music. And we had so like an Irish dancing flash mob uh, organized as well, which is, was a great way to finish it. So yeah. <laughs> and on those along those same lines, Mike, we were talking about this. I think on Saturday or Sunday. What do you do? What are you going to do now? Like this has been your <laughs> life's work for a long time. Like what is going to fill this void? Is there a void? Uh, well, I can get down or back to a lot of the Ireland lacrosse stuff, you know, just growing the game here. Yeah. Uh, but um, uh, somebody mentioned all the uh, bid documents for the 
2024 Women's European Championship just came out. Mm. Uh, and they're saying, hey, look, let's, let's bid for that. So <laughs> the first question I asked was, well, who's going to be the event director? <laughs> so I've done my tour of duty. I think we have to find somebody else to do that. Yeah, you're, you're, you've got to look around. We're like, like wait right, a minute. Who's it? <laughs> who's turn? I'm happy to be a consultant. You know, I can be a consultant, but uh, somebody else has to take on the mantle. Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Michael, I know Tom and I both spoke to you different times throughout this entire buildup and I think we are both so happy to see you guys finally get a chance to host this event you did a tremendous job thanks for having us be a part of it and congratulations on a on a really really successful tournament thanks man yeah and look thanks to you guys you guys have been with me for the long haul you know doing uh, little interviews when we won the bid you know um, probably seen a few gray hairs uh, develop on my head so um, I really uh, appreciate all the support you guys have given, you know, basically from day one. So thank, thank you so much to you guys uh, and everybody at LSN. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for helping to grow the sport in yeah. a huge way over the last few weeks and years at that. So, Michael, we thank you for your time as well. Now take some time for yourself, okay? Yeah, I'm off. Uh, I'm off to play with my two young boys on the trampoline. So there it's a great uh, way to decompress. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you so much, Michael Kennedy, the CEO of Iron Lacrosse, following a successful U21 World Championship. Thanks, Michael. So we now bring in the head coach of the Puerto Rico U21 team that was in Ireland, an eighth place finish at that for Sean Mowry and his squad. Sean, first time for this Puerto Rico junior team in this competition. What was the experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Um, you know, it was a, it was definitely mentally trying for a lot of these guys because, you know, with, with the whole COVID delay and everything, and at one point it was kind of in jeopardy of even happening. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just went in. We wanted to, um, you know, just set a foundation for those upcoming uh, Puerto Rico teams competing at this age level, and I think we did a great job in that. Um, you know, and that was really what kept the guys going. The, the whole tournament was, hey, you're, you're part of something bigger and you're really setting the, uh, the foundation for the guys coming up behind you. So it was a great experience. Um, you know, really no complaints at all. I think Ireland and World Lacrosse did a tremendous job uh, getting this thing to go off. Um, so hats off to them. And, and our guys, uh, you know, really responded. Uh, you know, it was, it was a great experience for everyone. I mean, you guys finished in eighth place, but like you, you look at what could have been. I mean, a couple of one goal losses yeah. to England and Ireland at the, in the, the final two games. You played Japan tight, who ends up finishing in fifth. Like, on top of yeah. having a solid finish, you, have, you, you guys have to feel really good about what the program did and how you guys represented Puerto Rico. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that was kind of the main the main theme behind all of this is, you know, you're, you're representing a lot more than just you guys and your family. You're representing 12 million people across the world, um, you know, with with that Puerto Rico background. Um, you know, and, and we talked about it, you know, four of our losses were by one goal. You mentioned, um, you know, and to do that with a roster of 21 guys, uh, three guys who have yet to graduate high school. Mm. Uh, and five guys who don't even play lacrosse at the college level um, that made big plays for us throughout the tournament. Uh, you know, you kind of put things, when you put them under a lens, it, it's really remarkable, you know, what, what we did. And uh, it, it's great. You know, I couldn't have been more happy. And, uh, you know, this is definitely a team that I'll never forget and something, a team that I'm truly proud of. So 
um, you know, it, it really was amazing, the whole experience. What was it like to have that kind of a mix of players from a lot of different levels, regions, places in the United States, Puerto Rico and beyond? I mean, you had a couple guys, you know, you have Brandon Aviles, who's going to be a senior at Syracuse, and then you got Sean Laureano, who's going to be a senior in high school. What's it like managing all of that? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, even go further than that, you got a Harrison Walpole who's going to be a, a junior, junior in high yeah. school. So, <laughs> right. you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. You know, this just goes to speak about our team. You know, we really preach the whole family first, um, you know, mentality. And, and that's what we did. You know, it didn't matter if we had Brandon out on the field or Harrison or, you know, Jack Zelenak, who, who, you know, has been at Widener for two years, but, but doesn't play on the team there. It really doesn't matter. All these guys just came together and, you know, that, that's something that as co a coaching staff was truly great, right? Like a lot of times you have to worry about how these guys are off the field. Um, they were tremendous. Uh, you know, even through the three years that we started, you know, picking this team, um, you know, the continuity was always there off the field. So, it, you know, like I said, that's just another added aspect that when you have to take that out of the hands of the coach, it's a bonus because we can focus more on the on-field stuff and, and it, you know, we couldn't have had a, a truly better group of guys than what we had, you know, there in Ireland to represent Puerto Rico. You know, I had a chance to catch up with uh, Brandon Avilas and Colin Baez before the tournament, and they had brought up the opportunity that at least a good chunk of the team had to go to Puerto Rico leading up to this, this tournament and have a chance to experience Puerto Rico and introduce the sport to people there. What was that experience yeah. like, and, and how was that maybe almost just as important as what you guys did on the field in Ireland? Yeah, I, listen, that that's – you know, just one of the many aspects that was so important leading up to Ireland. Um, you know, when you look at the the experience and the journey that our team went on as a whole, um, Ireland was obviously a big deal. But you look at things like, like the clinics that we did in Puerto Rico, those are so, you know, astronomical and so significant to our program. Um, you know, because ultimately the end goal of our organization is to bring lacrosse back to Puerto Rico and, and make it as big as it is here in the States and in Canada. And, um, you know, there's huge, you know, when you see little kids literally coming off a baseball field, it's crazy. <laughs> they still have the dirt on their shoes, uh, but they're coming in and picking up a lacrosse stick and then leaving with that free stick that we were able to provide them and, you know, playing catch with their friends on the way out of the, out of the field that we had the clinic at that. That's just, you know, it's something that you can't really describe and uh, truly left me speechless. So, you know, to have that impact, um, you know, on, on youngsters there, um, you know, it definitely opened our guys' eyes as well. You know, that this is much bigger than lacrosse. It's much bigger than, you know, the 21 guys and four coaches in that room before every game. You know, it was really about more than that. So, again, it's so significant. You can't even describe it. I mean, it seems like those that are involved are, are very passionate about it. We were talking to Michael Kennedy of Ireland Lacrosse. He goes, the Puerto Rican fan base was incredible. How'd you get so many people there cheering you guys on? Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, again, we preach family, but that just goes back. It's a foundation of Puerto Rican culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everything is so family-based. Um, you know, really, I can only think of about two guys who, who unfortunately didn't have uh, family members there. Um, but fortunately, you know, through through means like you guys and, and and other broadcasting means they were able to watch at home. But, uh, you know, really, it just it stems off the Puerto Rican culture where family is so significant. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, that that's great, too. You know, we, 
the one thing I can say about our fans is they were tremendous. And, mm. you know, you go all the way back to opening ceremonies and it didn't matter if we were marching on the field or if Australia or Uganda was marching on the field, they were cheering for everyone. And again, that's, that was, that was what was so cool about this tournament is, um, you know, you got people coming from all over the world and bonding through, you know, one unique, one unique aspect, which is lacrosse. And, and you know, it's, it's truly monumental every year that it takes place. Sean, as the head coach of this team, what are you most proud of about the performance that you guys had in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, how we faced adversity. Um, so we talk about it, you know, we had three one-goal games. You know, we you run into a buzzsaw like Team USA, um, arguably the best team that they ever had. But, you know, our guys never gave up. You know, it, and it really didn't take much uh, for me to get them up for every game. They were ready to go and they realized that, you know, you were playing for something much more, um, you know, it, and it showed, too, at the end when you got guys with tears in their eyes, um, you know, you know that it means something. So, um, again, you know, it to me, it was just the effort and how they played with heart. Um, you know, I can't tell you after every game, I get about 35 text messages and it was a common theme. You know, you guys played with such grit and such heart and, you know, that's what, you know, to me is the most, uh, the most inspiring and, and, you know, you know, really the best thing about this team that came out of that tournament. You know, one of the coolest things for me doing these games is that after all those games, the very last game I did was you guys playing Ireland and the national anthem. It was the most unique national yeah. anthem that we had the entire tournament. You stood side by side, one by one, uh, for someone from Team Ireland, someone from Team Puerto Rico, and the two flags up on the hill next to each other. What went into that moment? Yeah, so another really cool aspect about this tournament is, uh, you know, all of our guys are pretty much living side by side in, in the townhouses that they had there. Uh, coach Pryor and myself actually had a common link. Uh, coach Deegan, who I played for, is my assistant coach at West Tennessee, um, is very heavily involved with Ireland lacrosse. Um, so he actually helped get us set up with a pre-tournament, you know, just six on six scrimmage the day before the tournament started. Um, but, you know, living side by side with those guys for two weeks, um, you know, that's, that's big. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of antics to go along with it, uh, but it was good. You know, at the end of the day, it was, you know, there's nothing malicious. It was great. Um, all the kids had fun and that's really what this was all about. Um, you know, and to be honest with you, that wasn't even brought forth by the coaches that was brought forth by the captains, which really speaks to the maturity uh, that both of these teams had. And, and you kind of saw that throughout the tournament, you know, you see acts of great sportsmanship throughout the tournament. Um, you know, a guy gets hurt and someone who doesn't even speak the same language is able to go over there, give him a hug and say, Hey, you know, speedy recovery. Um, you know, that's, what's truly special about this. So cool. It, it continues to be the power of sports and you never see the power of sports quite like these international competitions, yeah. especially here in lacrosse. I got one final yeah. one for you because everybody went on a long journey to get to this tournament because it was supposed to happen in 2020, <laughs> got delayed to 2021 and no one knew if it was actually going to happen and finally does here in 2022. So take me through what was this journey like from the very beginning when you figured out you were going to be this team's head coach to finally getting a chance to compete and finishing in eighth place. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, you know, it, when I found out I was ecstatic, right? Like this is something that I always dreamed of, you know, really is to coach lacrosse at the highest level. But, you know, when you become a part of a team like this, you realize it's much more than that. Um, it's not about you. It's about the guys. It's about, you know, what you represent. So, you know, obviously with the COVID pandemic, it was tough. Um, you know, you have to keep the guys engaged for three years, but I talk about, you know, how, how 
you know, continuous our team was off the field. And that was huge. Um, you know, we were having Zoom meetings and everything like that. So that when we finally got on the field, uh, it was like we didn't miss a beat. Um, obviously, we had roster changes like everyone else. Um, but the cool thing about that was our guys really just, you know, accepted everyone, um, you know, as they came in, you know, you look at it, Brandon, Brandon Avilas, uh, Marcel Vernon Jr., Harrison Walpole, those are all late, late ad guys for us, Colin Baez as well. Um, they, they all ended up being huge parts of our team. Um, but when they came onto this team, it was like they had been there for the full three-year journey, um, such as guys like a Will Mercado or Christian Loriano. So, you know, I, again, I can't speak enough to the maturity and you know the really just the the brotherhood that our guys have and and that made my job a heck of a lot easier like we talked about um and it made you know when we lose those one goal games it made bouncing back a lot easier as well it, it feels like you know this is my last question for you as well it feels mm -hmm. like the, it was very competitive of course between those fifth sixth seven eighth ninth team place teams what and you you are someone that played team usa as well in all of that um what do you think needs to happen as someone that's outside of that group a for now um to catch up a bit to the rest of those team usa and canada teams for the rest of the pack to, to build some ground there what has to happen elsewhere around the world for you guys to kind of gain some some ground and some traction there yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really just to kind of build off of what you have. Um, you know, we talk about, um, you know, just really what we can control, right? So um, whether it's a world across thing or not, um, you know, we could have very well finished in that top five. We, you know, we were a few bounces away, yeah. a few goals away. Um, hats off to Japan. They were a tremendous team. Um, you know, you look at any one of those five through eight teams and, and any one of us could have slid into that fifth spot. Um, I think the biggest thing is just realizing that, hey, like you take – a non-traditional country like Japan uh, in terms of lacrosse. Uh, and they were able to, you know, kind of climb that mountain to get into that A bracket. Um, I think you just got to look at that and really just focus on what you can control and how you can improve your team. Um, I don't think there's any like legislation or anything in world lacrosse that can really change that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's something that we focus on is just really what you can control. And, you know, Japan is a great example, right? Uh, England, uh, Ireland, you know, you, you look all the way back, even Jamaica played a tremendous tournament as well, finishing ninth. And, you know, you could go back to the, to them as well and, and see a path that any one of us could have finished in that top five. So, um, again, you know, at some point, you know, David's going to have to take down Goliath. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you just got to focus on what you can control. And, and, you know, we preached getting better each day, getting better each quarter. Um, and I think that's what you got to do from an organizational standpoint as well. So, um, you know, we learned a lot from this. Um, tremendous accomplishments. Couldn't be more proud of our guys, our organization, uh, you know, from the top down. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, listen, the goal now is, you know, we finished eighth. That's great. Um, next tournament, what can we do to finish better? Um, you know, even if we finish seventh, sixth, fifth, uh, to get into that spot, you know, that's really what we're looking for. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, to kind of, you know, keep things simple and, and just get better every day. Yeah, you guys were a lot of fun to watch. I'll say that, too. You, you were the more enjoyable. Like, you were a lot of fun throughout the tournament. Close games, exciting games, a good <laughs> brand of lacrosse, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, listen, a fun team to coach, too, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the the great thing about our guys is they played the best when they were loose and, and played the most free. And, listen, I'd, I'd be lying to you if I didn't crack a few smiles after some goals and oh, you know, the how the guys saw the celebration, Sean. We saw <laughs> some of the celebration. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, at one point, Sean Laureano scored a goal and, and pulled out the stanky leg. And uh, my assistant coach, Matt Casalia, said, you weren't even alive when that, that dance movie came out. And, uh, you know, he said, that's okay, coach. I still watch music videos. So, uh, you know, just looking at some of that stuff, uh, you know, it, it's fun. You got to listen. I, I think that this tournament is what you make of it. Um, you know, we always encourage our guys to have fun. So uh, you got to have fun to succeed. And, you know, listen, if we weren't having fun, those one goal games are probably three, four goal games. And, you know, listen, even against Team USA, right? Like 21 to three. But, you know, at the end of the day, we went out there. We did what we could. Um, we break things down. At one point, it was three to two, uh, you know, 11 minutes into the first quarter. Um, you know, that kind of thing is like those are those are minor wins for our program, you know. So, um, you know, we, we got to build off that. And, you know, our guys had fun. And after a game like that, you know, that's kind of a true barometer, how your how your team is. Um, our guys were upbeat. We were ready to go out and play the next day, right? So um, we realized there was still work to be done, and that all goes into how much fun these guys had. And they were a blast to coach. So I'm glad you guys had fun watching them because it was just much fun, if not more, coaching. We did. Yeah, yeah. It was great to watch you guys compete. And congratulations, and again, uh, again on, a, on an eighth place finish. And welcome back to the United States. Uh, catch up on yeah. some of that sleep. Get yourself back together, <laughs> and we appreciate the time. So thanks to Michael and Sean for sharing a bunch of stories from the tournament. I yeah. mean, some of the some of the moments, especially some of the stuff like off the field, to me stands out. That's why it's why the we biggest, love sports. Biggest smile on their faces came. You yeah. know that, that that's where they're like, oh yeah, like that was so much fun. And I mean, it flew by. You know, even even for us, you know, covering it from here, like I was like, I can't believe it's already over. You yeah. know, games, several games every day. Uh, I'm really glad that we got to be a part of that uh, in such a big way. You know, we had games, multiple games every single day here on LSN. And I um, appreciate all of you that reached out to thank us for the coverage. And we thank you because it's an honor to get to talk about these athletes from around the world and including here in the States that were competing over the course of the couple weeks. Yeah, so thank you to everybody who consumed any of the games here on LAC Sports Network throughout the uh, week and a half tournament and the games over on ESPN Plus as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is it for you, Tom. This, so take this it away. is it. It's all you. Um, um, yeah, I guess uh, this is my last show here at LSN, and um, it's obviously been a fun four years, almost a complete four years that I've been here. And first of all, I, I just want to thank everybody out there, you, you know, that's been watching over the course of our time here. We've done a lot of different things. I think Travis obviously can agree with that, and he, he's been here longer than I have, <laughs> so he knows. Um, and most of the coaches that are so willing and, and with their time, the athletes always so candid with us at the end of the day. And, you know, the people that are all in this invested in this sport, the analysts that we talk to along the way as well. And then you go back here into this building and everybody that I've been able to work with. And you know, we're really a team here and the producers, the editors, you know, people getting the show together, the, the graphics directors, those that have been in the studio working on, as a production assistant and working the cameras and the teleprompter. It's changed the people that have come and gone, um, but it's, I feel very lucky to, to have learned from them, including you know Rob Wallace and, and Chris Day and, and Dave Gross all at the helm here. So I, I feel very lucky that you know I got to dip my toe into this world of lacrosse. You know, I feel like four years compared to those that invested 40 for me is just a ripple in the impact I made, but the impact made on me by everybody else is, is really meaningful. So I thank you all for that. 
And last but not least, if he can get back to the two shot here, Travis, I want to make sure I thank Travis because he was a big part of me coming here four years ago and it came at the perfect time in my life. And he is as professional on the screen as he is off. He is as uh, prepared and he cares about this sport so much. And I think a lot of that um, rubbed off on me, you know, because someone who was always a fan of the sport and just being able to sit next to Travis every day and hear him talk about it and his passion for it, I think is really special. So Travis, I thank you for that. And, and along the, and he's such a, he's also just as good of a person, better than that off the, off the camera and all that. I can, I don't have to tell you that, but I also will say that I hope that everybody in the cross world appreciates Travis for his investment, his passion, and his love of this game and everything that he brings because he cares so much. So I, just implore all of you to appreciate Travis for the impact he has made because it is a, a big one. And he has been a part of this network since it started. And his investment, I don't think, has changed from the beginning. So I just want everybody out there in the cross world, please appreciate Travis and make sure that he is talked about amongst those that you might say, you know, they're so they do so much for the sport or whatever. Travis is up there with the best of them in doing that. So I just want to make sure that you know just what he means to this. And I can see it from both someone that's been on the outside and now the inside and will be a little bit more on the outside again. And I'll continue to watch and admire. So um, I don't like that sometimes gets to me. You know, I get frustrated because I don't think Travis gets enough respect. That's why oh. I wanted to bring this up here. So please do that. And because I know I do and the rest of you should as well. Thanks, Tom, man. You've you've been an unbelievable teammate throughout uh, the time you've been here. And I, I remember when you reached out about the opportunity we had, and I was like, because we had known each other before, dating back to our local news days, and I thought, oh, yeah, he'd be a great person to work with. But I didn't really know you as well as I know you now. So yeah. it's been a pleasure getting to know you even better. I consider you a great friend. Thank you. As well as having been a terrific coworker and a great teammate. So. Yeah. It's, Thanks for all these years. I mean, we've gone through the beginning of a new league, <laughs> a pandemic. It's uh, been a lot. A lot some, of time on Zoom. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been fascinating to see how the sport has changed, you know, in this time and, and how the world, the world has changed around it. And I think you know this and you're one of the good people, but there's a lot of good people in the sport that want the best for it. Yeah, and, and I think sure. The, and I personally think the thing moving forward is to get everybody moving in that same direction to be able to do so. I think you probably hear that all the time. And I think the future is bright if everybody yeah. can get on the same page. And we just, I mean, I'm so lucky that, I, you know, that I was able to call these games for Ireland lacrosse because it was really a cool way to say, you know, unfortunately, goodbye, <laughs> <laughs> because I really got a chance to one more time immerse myself in this and see how special all of you are out there and kudos to you everybody's put so much work in because it's impressive to watch and i'm glad i got to be a small part in helping to you know amplify that at some time for sure yeah. you want to take us out well i guess that will do it for this edition of lacrosse now you will see travis next week as you back. always have travis will be back um, but thank you once again to one and all and finally last but not least thank you to my family for tuning in all the time and supporting me along the way and thank you to all of you that have watched throughout the years uh, that'll do it for this edition of lacrosse now and we will see you another time <laughs>